This is the Humboldt Chronicles. I am the queen of everything. I gotta be high before I can sway. Lighter tea and let it be. If you a viper. I'm Chuck Rogers with producer Larry Trask and Comet the Radio Dog. The Humboldt Chronicles is made possible by Goat Global Humboldt, Humboldt Urban Market, and Mocha Humboldt. Much appreciation for your support of the Humboldt Chronicles. Yep, big, big thanks to our sponsors. And for tonight's show, we're going to revisit a format that we introduced in July, the exciting News Roundup. Mm -hmm. There's a lot going on as we turn the corner and head towards 2023, so we thought we'd run down some of the developments here in Humboldt in Sacramento and around the world. And like a great vacation, we're going to start by venturing out into the world and as the show progresses, work our way back here to Humboldt. As things stand currently, there are only three countries in the world, only three, where recreational sale and use of cannabis is fully legal nationwide. Canada, Thailand, and Uruguay. There are a few other countries that have made possession and recreational use of cannabis fully legal, but have at least some restrictions on commercial sales, specifically Georgia, Malta, Mexico, and South Africa. And of course, there are many nations that have made provisions for the legal use of cannabis under a medical structure, or like right here in the USA, where sale and use is fully or partially legal in some areas of the country, but not so on a nationwide basis. While it is quite frequently the case that Europe is the world's leading edge when it comes to progressive advancement, that's not the case with cannabis legalization. While most Western European countries decriminalized marijuana possession years ago, either formally or as a practical matter, and most have some form of medical use programs, no European countries have fully legalized possession and recreational use. But things may be changing, at least in Germany. Late last year, the newly elected governing coalition there announced that they had reached an agreement to legalize marijuana, among other drug policy liberalizations, and in June of this year opened a series of meetings to discuss implementation of these policies. Earlier this month, German officials and lawmakers visited the Bay Area to meet with state officials, advocates, and experts to learn about the Golden State's experience with legalization. The German consulate in San Francisco tweeted, quote, The delegation of the Health Committee of the German Parliament continued discussions on lessons learnt from cannabis policy and reform in Oakland, California, with activists, patients, industry, and legal experts. Informative exchanges, end of quotation. You know, I was was surprised when I started doing research for Mm -hmm. for this show that there were only three nations in the world where it was completely legal. I would have guessed more. I would have guessed more, too, like maybe a lot more. Yeah, uh, it's surprising. Yeah, you know, and I think I think it's probably the case. I know this is the case in Europe, uh, and it's probably the case in other parts of the world as well, where it may be on the books illegal, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you're probably not going to get sent to jail. Right. You know, you you have to know the lay of the local land and yep. where you can get away with it, and where you can't. But there are also 
uh, some countries where you are going to get oh, sent to jail and, yeah, and maybe worse. Places where you do not want to be in jail. There yeah. was a rumor, and I saw this uh, again as I was doing research, there was a rumor prevalent for a while online that uh, it was actually legal in North Korea. <laughs> and this came from someone at, at visited North Korea, and they found a market uh, where they were selling uh, a hemp derivative because actual cigarettes were hard to come by in North mm-hmm. Korea, so local farmers were chopping up hemp and selling that. You know, wouldn't get you high, right? Uh, but but the blogger saw that, and then he started spreading this rumor. Well, marijuana is legal in North Korea, but Chuck, I'm here to tell you, I know you're planning to visit <laughs> North Korea. Don't take your weed with you. You anticipated my question there. I have two questions, actually. First of all, given the current circumstances in the world, as an American, would you be traveling to North Korea to start with? And even if somehow you got into North Korea, would you take a risk at buying a hemp derivative there? Uh, No. As an American? No, sir. Uh, Considering what happened to the person who... Yeah. Tried to take a poster home. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I probably will stay out of North Korea at least for a little I, while. I plan to. Yeah. Yeah. Although, uh, just to, to close this, there are services that offer tours mm-hmm. into North Korea. However, uh, people from South Korea and the U.S. are explicitly not invited. Uh, thank goodness. Yeah. yeah. So. Would you do that anyway, though? I, I mean. I, I w- there would be no guarantee that you would even come back. I'd be scared of it under the current circumstances. I wouldn't, but I'm fascinated by North yeah, Korea. Yeah, I am too. I'm fascinated by it as well, but I can think of a lot of places right now I would rather travel to. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Well, a little closer to home, uh, there's a couple things we've been keeping an eye on, or uh, excuse me, upon which we've been keeping an eye uh, <laughs> in Washington, D.C. You may remember uh, in July of this year with some amount of fanfare, Chuck Schumer, along with Ron Wyden and Cory Booker, finally introduced their bill to legalize cannabis at the federal level. It's called the Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act, and the bill would decriminalize weed on the federal level and allow states to set their own marijuana laws without interference from Washington. Schumer's bill joins uh, New York Congressman Jerry Nadler's Moore Act as uh, one of the two currently pending pieces of legislation uh, the former in the House, the latter in the Senate. And in fact, the Moore Act did actually pass in the House. Uh, and Schumer's bill, however, has seen almost no action in the Senate. Bill, as mentioned, was introduced in July. Uh, immediately following that, there was a largely ceremonial hearing uh, held by the Subcommittee on Criminal Justice and Counterterrorism. That happened a few days after it was introduced. And shortly after that, the bill was referred to the Senate Finance Committee, and there it sits to this very day with no further action taken. So to be fair, it did seem pretty clear when the bill was introduced that it was was kind of a political move, though, you know, Wyden and Booker and Schumer, too, I suppose, do seem sincere in their desire to see some legislation passed some way at some time in the future. Uh, but, Chuck, we were probably smart when we decided last July to stop holding our breaths. Mm-hmm. Will something happen in the next session? I think uh, the only thing we can know for sure is that depending on the outcome of the midterm elections, the answer to that question will either be maybe or stop kidding yourself. 
Yeah, exactly. And the the makeup of both houses of Congress is going to uh, have a lot to say about that, right? Oh, uh, so sure. the uh, the midterm elections. But although, you know, one thing that we talked about in the early years of this show uh, was whether there would be some Republicans who would uh, see this as more of an economic issue rather than a culture war issue. And there are some. The question is, are there enough? Because especially as it gets to the Senate, uh, that's going to be critical because they'll need more than just the the 50, um, presumably, unless there's a way they could pass something with 50 or 51. But for a lot of things, they need 60. And that means, you know, depending upon these midterm elections, uh, yeah, how many Republicans can you get? Yeah, yeah, and the other factor is, and, and again, it depends on on the makeup of uh, of both houses after the election. Mm-hmm. But there, there sometimes is uh, a situation in which no legislation is allowed to pass, no matter how the individual members feel, because they've adopted a policy of not letting anything pass, no matter what it is. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. the, you know, we just have to wait and see. But I, th- but I do agree that even uh, the, even within the GOP, there are members who would look favorably on this, mm-hmm. all of their factors notwithstanding. Yeah, and and could still survive re-election uh, just hammering on this as an economic issue, right? And kind of educating their own constituents uh, as to the fact that this has an economic impact uh, on their, their locality. I mean, that, it seems to me that's the only way they're going to get enough Republican votes, if they can find Republicans who see it that way. Yeah, I agree. While we're still in Washington, we should probably mention that our own representative, Congressman Jared Huffman, recently introduced some legislation in the House designed to help small cannabis operators, the Small and Homestead Independent Producers, or SHIP Act, would, according to a press release, allow small farmers and producers to operate their agricultural businesses within and across state lines and would permit shipment directly to consumers. A direct-to-consumer channel is long sought after and much desired by cannabis cultivators, though not to be a pessimist, this may be another instance in which not holding your breath is well advised. By the way, and not that this is related in any way to the aforementioned legislative proposal, but Congressman Huffman is up for re-election in November. His Republican opponent is Ferndale's own Reverend Douglas Brower, whose campaign web address, to the best of my Googling ability, is 04861, lowercase d, 0 dot w-c-o-m-h-o-s-t dot com forward slash. I had a chance to spend a little time on that website a little yeah. earlier today. And I think, you know, I, I think that it indicates uh, not a tremendous amount of state GOP resources are going into this particular race. Yeah. And, you know, if you're if you're Congressman Jared Huffman, you're pro- although you wouldn't admit it, you're probably feeling pretty calm about the election. Yeah, I would think so. And, uh, you know, one way you can you can tell that he's feeling that way is that we haven't seen a whole lot of advertising from Huffman anywhere. Right. And I mean, that indicates that he feels pretty safe. And this district is drawn such that it's a reliably blue district, at least for right now. And, you know, that's so not surprising that a congressman from this district would be introducing legislation like the Small and Homestead Independent Producers Act. So that's what's going on in Washington and with our local congressional race. Next, we're going to go to Sacramento. 
Back in a moment. You're listening to the Humboldt Chronicles. Welcome back to the Humboldt Chronicles. I'm Chuck Rogers with producer and co-host Larry Trask. We're going to take you to Sacramento right now and run through uh, kind of a digest of some of the legislation that is cannabis-related that Governor Newsom recently signed into state law, starting with SB 1326, which provides for interstate commerce to and from California with other states where cannabis is legal. However, and this is a big however, contingent on assurances that there'd be no federal enforcement. Of course, it's still federally illegal. And depending upon who's in power in Washington, uh, you, you never know who might be wanting to take revenge on blue states. So I'm sure that's why that little uh, clause is there at the end. But, but it, does, it does at least set up uh, and provide for interstate commerce when it could happen yeah it's a little unclear to me exactly what the practical effect of this is Mm -hmm. i think nothing really i mean i guess it it is a signal that in some ways that california desires to Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. engage in some form of interstate commerce i mean at the i guess it's it's sort of the opposite of of declaring there's no way we're going to have any kind of interstate commerce but uh, with with that provision that you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, the proviso, I guess I should say, and and the fact that any type of arrangement with any neighboring state would take a tremendous amount of time to negotiate, and would also uh, one would have to assume on 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 the other state's part include a similar proviso, yep. which is basically saying we can agree to whatever we're going to agree, but nothing's going to happen until the Feds Act. Yeah, I, I see this as the state just being proactive, being ready for whatever the future might hold, uh, and having things in place so that if interstate commerce does become possible, California is ready, at least legislatively. The other thing that I think might be uh, behind this, I think it also shows to uh, cannabis businesses in other parts of this country, maybe even other parts of the world, that California is open for business if they wanted to locate here. There's already legislation on the books that would provide for interstate commerce should they decide to locate here. Maybe it's uh, something that might help in business recruitment as well. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, we're a long way from interstate commerce just being commonplace, don't you think? I do believe that, yeah. Yeah. This was just one of a, a whole bunch of different bills that made yeah. its way to Newsom's desk and then he signed. What are some of the other ones? Uh, Assembly Bill 2188, another interesting one. Um, employers under this new legislation cannot punish, penalize, or terminate an employee for off-duty cannabis use. So let's say someone was being tested by their employer and it was positive and that employee says well that was uh, five or six days ago you know i i don't i don't do that at work uh you know i'm fine at work as you have been able to see mr employer so don't punish me but maybe the employer is opposed to it under all circumstances and terminates the employee um, this prevents that uh, there's also senate bill 1186 uh, local jurisdictions cannot prevent delivery of medical cannabis to medical patients. 
I guess we can assume that that probably was passed to override some local jurisdictions that are still preventing cannabis from being delivered into their jurisdiction to a medical patient. Even if the patient has been using medical cannabis for some time, is uh, under the care of a licensed physician even, uh, and, and ordering that cannabis from a licensed dispensary. Uh, maybe some local jurisdictions are still preventing delivery to those medical patients. So this would, uh, this would prevent that. Because remember, Proposition 64 allowed for a lot of local leeway, uh, both at the, at the city and town level and also the county level. So I, I think some of this legislation is the result of, of 64, and you can imagine that there might be some legislators in some uh, areas uh, of counties where there are no dispensaries, and it's, it's specifically not allowed. But when you have a medical patient, maybe this legislation is the result of some lobbying on the part of uh, patients and dispensaries wanting to make sure that they can at least just deliver it to a person. Not that they're trying to open a commercial business there, but they're just trying to deliver to a medical patient. It's kind of an interesting quirk of the way that California's propositions worked. Yeah. So you, you in effect, had the, uh, you know, the on-its-face more liberal Proposition 64 uh, turn out to be actually more restrictive in some areas than yeah. 215 was because, as you remember, under 215, if you had a, uh, if you had a, a medical uh, permit, mm-hmm. you know, if you had your... Uh, authorization there was there was relatively little that could be done to prevent you from right. getting your medicine yeah. but when proposition 64 mm-hmm. came in it gave local jurisdictions a little bit more ability to actually pr- prevent things like a local delivery yeah. and there there were some jurisdictions here in in humble county that prohibited sure. deliveries and now they may have made some exception for medical i don't remember yeah. specifically but i do know that deliveries were specifically prohibited yeah. by some localities. Yeah. And let's also recall that that's part of the reason 64 was written the way it was, because that was the way to get it passed, because 64 was not the first try. Remember, there were there were other attempts at this. And, you know, when you see provisions like this in a uh, in something that's being voted on statewide, you can assume that each little provision in there is there for a reason. And it's been researched, and it's been tested, and it's been written with very specific language. And in this case, it was uh, the local jurisdiction uh, part of it was uh, to make sure it could pass statewide. Yeah, you know, and we, we hear that over and over again yeah. when we look at specific provisions of Part 64. Uh, and in fact, later on in the show, we'll hear someone saying, oh, that, that particular tax provision was put in there right. just to make make it more palatable to people who are ideologically opposed to, to cannabis. Mm-hmm. That's right. Here's another one. Assembly Bill 1706 uh, has to do with justice reform. It mandates courts to process record sealing and other forms of relief for eligible cannabis convictions. So, you know, several years ago, we talked on the show about expungement of records for those who had passed cannabis convictions that did not uh, include some other charge of violence, but just a basic cannabis conviction, expungement of those records. And I think what this is about, uh, 1706 here, is telling the courts, get on with it. It's been too long. 
seal these records. Is that your interpretation? Yeah, for sure. And this is another artifact of California being one of the early movers Mm -hmm. in the legalization movement because, as we've seen, a lot of subsequent state bills, and I'm thinking particularly of Illinois and Michigan and a few others, included automatic expungement as part of the initial legislation that, that legalized marijuana because it just makes it so obvious if it's now legal People shouldn't still be suffering from past convictions. Right. But when California was, uh, you know, the second state to legalize, uh, you know, that was just not part of the regimen where, where it is now. Yeah, yeah. We've learned a lot since then. Uh, Assembly Bill 2568, not a crime to provide insurance to licensed cannabis businesses, which, of course, protects those businesses. But also uh, the insurance provider is not going to get in trouble by insuring Uh, a cannabis business that is operating legitimately. So if you think of small businesses, it's scary not to be insured. So of course, this is important. Uh, And this is a big thing for small business operators, being insured. Another common sense kind of thing. Yeah. And one one more, uh, well, I was going to say one more little step, but for some people, it's a a big step. Uh, It's a huge step. Treating cannabis businesses the same as any other business and kind of removing some of the restrictions that no other business has to deal with. Yeah, you know, and from a personal standpoint, this would also reduce some of the stress on the business owner, too, to know that at least they're insured, yeah. at the very least. Yeah, and I think, you know, as with, as with banking services, I think that uh, these businesses have found kind of creative ways to solve these problems. Mm-hmm. But, you know, should they have to be creative. Why can't they just buy insurance same as any other business? Like everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And outside of legislation, some other developments here in the state of California relating to cannabis, California has taken in nearly $4 billion in marijuana tax revenue since 2018. And in the most recent fiscal year, $817 million in adult use marijuana tax revenue, which represents 55% increase over the previous fiscal year. So revenues over the last fiscal year up by 55%. Which is frankly a little surprising to me. Yeah, me too. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty healthy increase. It is. And we've heard uh, from many different sources that there isn't a tremendous amount of growth in in uh, in retail mm-hmm. um, but but that there has been a fair amount of growth in cultivation so maybe that's the source of it I, I don't know I guess if you look at that figure that's that's both good news and bad news depending on your perspective you know as a Californian it seems like good news we want our government to be well funded uh, if you are in the cannabis industry though you may have a bittersweet feeling about the increase in tax revenue the one who's sending that revenue to the state yeah (laughs) maybe a different perspective for sure huh and uh speaking of perspectives uh when we come back from the break we're going to get the perspective of a local county official about the health of humboldt's cannabis economy more on the humboldt chronicles when we come back Welcome back to the Humble Chronicles, and thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, we're almost done with our trip around the world. Chuck, we're back here in Humboldt County. And a couple of weeks ago, you had the opportunity to talk to Scott Adair, mm-hmm. uh, who is the Director of Economic Development for Humboldt County. And he was he was here 
talking about uh, their SEDS program. Right, yeah. And that's an acronym that stands for Comprehensive Economic Development Strategy. So they put together this document, a kind of a planning document. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the time, they were looking for input from the community, what our, what our needs are, what are areas that we can build out, what are, what are the areas that opera, offer us the best opportunity for economic growth. Mm -hmm. And you had the opportunity to ask them a few questions about the health of a Humboldt County's cannabis industry. And here's what he had to say. What's your current assessment of the health of the cannabis industry in Humboldt? It's concerning to me. Uh, we were seeing some economic drivers and some trends pre-COVID, uh, which illustrated to us that the, the market was starting to take a downward turn. It was starting to slope downwards for cannabis right before COVID. Interestingly enough, though, COVID then um, caused a, a slight recovery for cannabis. And uh, I'm not sure if there was higher demand for cannabis because of the pandemic. That's probably part of what was occurring. Uh, so it was already beginning to dip. COVID brought it back up, but it was, I think, a false recovery because it, was, it wasn't it was a natural market-driven recovery. It was tied to a specific event, which was the pandemic. And as the pandemic is easing up, we're seeing the market fall again. We're looking at not just what neighboring counties are doing with regards to cannabis and not just what's happening with the state, but what's happening nationally and in other states. There are other states who are racing to advance ahead of California in this market. Um, and to gain market share for when cannabis is ultimately federalized, which I think we all agree it, it, it's just a matter of time, but it's going in that direction. We hear it's inevitable. Yeah. yeah. Was the expectation that the unregulated market would dry up eventually, at least by now? Maybe that was the expectation of some, but I don't know if that's necessarily realistic, especially with how overly regulated cannabis is. It seems to me there's a lot of speculation out there. And so here's one. Um, bear that in mind. Uh, but it seems as though the trade off in order to legalize it was to come up with um, some very heavy overregulation for the industry. Uh, and that was used in order to maybe appease or pacify some really strong opponents to legalization, mm -hmm. uh, was to balance that with heavy regulation. However, it's regulated to the point that if this were another normal business industry, those businesses would not be able to survive. Um, if you regulate it to the point that, you know, like if we regulated retail, for example, to the point that we're regulating cannabis right now, we would see retailers closing up their doors left and right. And so the expectation may have been that the unregulated market would dry up, but I don't think that's possible with the way that we're regulating it. I, we're pushing some, um, some cultivators and other, I think, cannabis businesses back into the irregulated uh, illicit market because it's easier for them. You mentioned that the whole SEDS idea is to take a look at what's going on, be prepared, diversify, uh, look at, uh, at other industries and shore things up. Is that in some ways a plan B in case the cannabis industry does not turn out to be what everybody thought it might be under legalization? I don't think we've given up on cannabis and we still see it as a strong industry for Humboldt County moving forward, especially if we can be strategic about how we can position ourselves. We're not going to be able to compete on a commodity basis, not when we have other communities and other states who can plant, you know, 100 acres of crop. Uh, but there is opportunity, you know, you look at what Napa has done with wine. 
there's opportunity, I think, for us, and there's still room for Canada tourism. Um, there, you know, we have um, so much of the legacy knowledge as well behind the cultivation of that crop that if we utilize that moving forward and we're strategic about it, I think we can still, we, we may not be um, a large player in the market, but I'm thinking quality versus quantity. Uh, I think that's a place that we can still be with cannabis. We but, just need our slice of that pie. We don't need the whole pie, right? That's right. We can have the best tasting slice. <laughs> and that, again, was a conversation that you had with Scott Adair, um, the Director of Economic Development for Humboldt County, just a few weeks ago. Uh, one thing that struck me from that conversation was just how frank he was yeah. uh, as, a, as a government official about the fact that Yes, there is overregulation in yeah. the cannabis industry. Yeah, he was very direct on this topic and not just cheerleading, you know. I mean, he was uh, very frank, uh, which uh, uh, we appreciate. And the other thing is that over the years, we've had cannabis operators in Humboldt uh, tell us, Larry, that we're overregulated. It's hard for us to compete. We can't even afford to be in business. We don't know how we're going to make it. Um, but here's a county administrator confirming that that's not just complaining. That's real. Yeah. This is real, and it's a problem, and it needs to be dealt with um, because this is a big part of our local economy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, any, any regulated business doesn't like regulation, and any business owner everywhere doesn't like paying taxes. Mm -hmm. uh, but there really is a fundamental difference about the way the cannabis industry is regulated than any other industry. I mean, just the fact that a few minutes ago we were talking about legislation that just was signed right. allowing them to buy insurance. Right. I mean... And this is years later. Yeah. So, yeah. so there, there, clearly, there clearly is a problem, and I think we're seeing that in uh, uh, the way that these businesses are struggling to compete. Yeah, and it's also clear just by their actions, you know, Scott and his uh, department having these public meetings all over the county uh, and, and speaking frankly with us, it's uh, a cue that there is still a lot to be done uh, and a lot to be done in some complex areas of uh, local law. Yeah, and I think, you know, the it, we, we spend a lot of time being somewhat pessimistic during the course of the show, but if you're looking for one reason to be optimistic, at least there has been some acknowledgement mm -hmm. that, that this is an issue. I mean, we saw it with the, the tax deferment right. that, that happened a little bit earlier. That was a really quick kind of response from county government mm -hmm. to say, hey, okay, we get it. There is a problem here. We're going to take this specific action, and we're going to take a, lo a, a longer look at it beyond yeah. just this one specific step. Yeah, and that was a bold move, I think, by the county supervisors. They deserve some credit for that because they knew by casting that vote that it was going to mean less revenue coming in to the county for some indefinite period of time. But they went ahead and did it anyway because it was the right thing to do at that time. Yeah, of course. And, you know, I mean, it, it just buys some time, but for some people that time is Oh, is crucial. Yeah. Absolutely. 
I'm Chuck Rogers with producer Larry Trask and Comet the Radio Dog. This edition of the Humboldt Chronicles will be posted soon at 941lounge.com, lostcoastoutpost.com, and at iTunes for listening and downloading. And we send much appreciation to our sponsors, Goat Global Humboldt, Humboldt Urban Market, and Mocha Humboldt. Thank you very much. We'll be back with the Humboldt Chronicles at 6 p.m. on the third Wednesday of October. So we'll see you next time, October the 19th at 6 p.m.